Open the pod bay doors, please, pal. All right, all right, all right. You're gonna need a bigger potion. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Look at the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. <laughs> a movie artist with Brad Patel and Gus Trap. Wow, I just realized Christian Bale is younger than me. You still have time to become Batman. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Thank what you. What do we get? Uh, like I said, not that exciting. It's like a it's a fancy mushroom tea. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So you know some shrooms. How L.A. of you? It's embarrassing. I know. I listened to a podcast and they tricked me into buying some performance mushroom tea with lion's mane. So. I don't really like coffee and caffeine kind of like destroys me. So I want something warm to sip on during the day that isn't tea. So I got right. this like mushroom stuff and I got the like caffeine free kind and nice. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm a caffeine addict. I, I couldn't live without it. I like Even all most of the animation industry. <laughs> yeah. It's like the magic of editing and music. Like, Sometimes I will listen to mute, like I'll be, I'll have a movie on and I'll be listening to music, but I'll have the movie on mute. Oh, wow. And it like when, and the song will just be like lining up magically. Like, you know, oh, like, yeah. you know, it's like the cues and stuff. And oh, yeah. that's just, it has a rhythm music, has but a that, rhythm. Is, that is, movies that is like the coolest thing about movies is because <clears throat> movies is visuals and the audio. Yeah. So when you have everything coming together perfectly, which this movie does, we love which we'll get into mm-hmm. uh, good, good segue there, man. Is it good? Why don't we <laughs> do one of your classic intros, Brad? Is it classic? I don't feel like it's been around long enough. Yes. Be- but if I keep on saying that, then it's just me saying, hey, gang. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Megan, Gus and I have a podcast. That's awesome. And you're on it. I'm so excited to be here. I've listened to it. I hope I can uh, live up to the high caliber of quality content that you've been delivering thus far. Ooh. Oh, my gosh, Megan. You just made this <laughs> podcast 20 times better than it already was. Yeah. Oh, you're, man. Yeah, you're <laughs> bringing... It wasn't good before, but now, Yeah. <laughs> Bring in some credibility. It's going to be Gus, Brad, and Megan now. I have Sweet. to add your face to the cover. Yeah. He also promised Lucas that. Just to oh, no, no. Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's Lucas? Wow. That's, that's going in Keep the Keep that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. My name is Brad Patello. I'm joined by my good friend, Gus Trouth. And we have a guest today joining us all the way from sunny California, storyboard artist and fellow cinephile, Megan Prezenica. Megan, thanks for being on our podcast. Hi, guys. I am stoked to be here. And you are currently at Netflix. You work as a storyboard artist for, can we, are we allowed to say what you're currently on? Uh, Yes, I'm working for a show called Captain Fall. It's not out yet. Yeah, I would think if it's in the storyboard phase, it's going to be a while before we see that. Right. Right. Give us a highlight reel of uh, all the cool stuff you've worked on. 
Sure. I worked on South Park for many years as an animator. I then got to work on season six of BoJack Horseman. Then after that, I worked on a show called Q-Force, which will be coming out this summer, I think. It's going to be really awesome. It's going to be on Netflix. And then one of the more recent projects I worked on is Tuca and Birdie. And I was an assistant director on season two. It's going to be a great show. It'll be out sometime this year. And I cannot wait for everybody to see it. Megan, you are too cool. Get out of here. Yeah. Thank you oh, for thanks. joining us and seriously bringing, Megan, bringing leave some credibility. You're too cool. <laughs> yeah. I am cool. just, I am the same dork you knew in college, guys. <laughs> you know? You, me too. <laughs> we're all dorks. Yeah. We're animators. Yeah. We yeah. have a podcast. Of course, we're dorks. Is it dorky to have a podcast? I hope I so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're very cool for having a podcast. Your coolness points like totally went up in my book. Yay! And I'm really stoked to talk about this movie. You are here to help us discuss American Psycho yep. from the year 2000. Megan's pick. Megan picked. Um, I and I, I was very to... excited for the pick because I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a while either. I, I have to ask, were either of you surprised by this pick given the content of the movie? Um, it's such a good movie and I surprised that you picked it yeah that, that I specifically picked this movie I'm curious or is this on brand well you we well, were texting about always, it like I don't know like I just thought you're like as long as I've known you it's like you've known you like like cool stuff so it's just was like oh sweet like sweet movie like you know okay, okay. it didn't, yeah, like, it didn't surprise me that you picked a movie that I was like oh that's a great that's a great cool. idea we should but do that is, I would say for the average moviegoer, you forget that, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's important. Like it, it's a, the, the fact that it's a female director, like it shouldn't yeah. be important, but it is. And holy shit. Like well, you would that never. One of the things that yeah. you had told me something, I forget what the wording was, but 80s toxic masculinity as yeah. depicted by a female director or some yeah. words yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty close. Um, because I would feel like when I tell people I love this movie, they're like, this movie is racist, it's sexist, it's homophobic, it's got all of the ists in it. Yeah. And yet, and it's so violent against women. And yet, I love this movie because I think it's hilarious. And I think it is through this, like, this lens of a female director and a female screenwriter. So I think had a different director or a different team taken this movie on, it would be completely different. You'd have like, if Scorsese was actually one of the people who was gonna direct this or was floated around. And if you had that, you basically probably have like The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a completely different movie. And I think because it's these two women showing this Patrick Bateman character, I think it, it makes for really, really interesting storytelling uh, with all of this like 80s nonsense and excess going on. Right. Yeah, it was really controversial when it came out. Yeah. And, the, and the book was as well, based on a book. Yep, by Brett Easton Ellis, which I, I read that as well. And he's also, yeah, a very controversial figure to this day. Yeah. What did um, you, are, is the book better, Megan? Tell us. Um, I like them both, but I think I prefer the movie version, believe uh -huh. it or not. Because it's, it's Movies so, have won this time. Yes, it's so over the top violent, the book, and... I yeah, know, I guess the book good. is even worse. It's really, really, like, really dark stuff happens in the book. And I, and I like it, too. Um, but I think I just really like this movie adaptation of, of that book. The book's long. 
I did uh, one of the, I wrote it down like kind of different ways, but in my notes, I wrote perfect execution. Every bit of it ties together so perfectly. The music, the humor, the, the shooting style, the editing, everything. It's just. You mean perfect murders and executions, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah controversial yeah. movie, very divisive. And when it came out, I think kind of in retrospect, people look back on it. I think it was like, part of it was people couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be satirizing those things or if it was like actually like espousing those things. It's a, I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, that's a big question. And I kind of actually am curious of your opinions as two men who watch this, like how do you feel about Patrick Bateman? Because I have a very strong point of view that this is satire, this is hilarious. You're not really, you're supposed to find all of this stuff like, oh ridiculous that I, I read it as doing. satire so oh satire, satire all well. the way yeah yeah like I, the, I totally read it as satire. yeah the um and not just because dramatized sound effects it's a female director i i yeah yeah well see a, that's not even a thing that came into my like like when i first was seeing this movie it wasn't like i i wasn't paying attention to to directors you know what i'm saying yeah so the I don't want to jump ahead too much, but the business card scene, as far as like where the satirical, like the heavy drama just in the sound effects of this, yeah. like, whenever the first yeah. card is brought out and he sees it and he starts to sweat, like, right? Like, I mean, if you're not, it's so heavy handed. And if you're not, that scene cracks me up. It's though. so fucking good. It's so, so goddamn good. But it's played like a serious drama horror, yeah. but it's, it's ridiculous. Well, like, that's that's what I'm when I'm saying perfect execution. The director has had such a vision of what this movie should look like. the The final product is so well executed. <laughs> like yeah. you're you can't you you don't well just murdered. get you don't you don't get that by just accidentally. I mean that is how everybody's acting, how the camera is, how that, how it edits the, the, how the humor works in the movie. Well, yeah, the tone of it, it's, it's not overtly funny and it's not overtly satirical, but it's clearly, I guess I can understand people thinking it's not. Yeah. Idiot. Like in well, 2000, maybe when it came out, yeah, but, yeah. but looking back on it, I don't, I don't know how you could not see that it's satire honestly i think there are i don't know i wonder because i think there were a certain amount of dudes who walked away from it being like oh yeah patrick bateman's cool like this world is is somehow i don't know something to not emulate but i think they're just like oh cool and you know like when there's it's a world where we're like we're into anti-heroes and yeah i think maybe that's part of it and then also i think it's even more relevant in 2021 you know 20 years after this movie is made because we look back on this like world of the eighties. And I feel like this is like the exact cauldron from which like people like Donald Trump were born from. He's even mentioned they refer twice. Reference him movie. twice in that. Was that what he said? Or Yeah. He, it's, it's Ivana. And then he mentions Donald Trump's car as well. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So I think it's like really interesting to look back on this movie and like where we're at now. And then the problems we're having with society and like how many of them, like just, you can point back to this particular point in American history even i could get more into this but maybe that's a later topic but post post gordon yeah. gecko era 
of like 80s excess like deregulated yeah. reaganomics yeah yeah that sort of thing and and this is also like a written pre 9-11 too so it was a really interesting time in movies like 99 2000 i think it's just like such a fascinating time because movies changed after that for a couple of years right oh yeah so this is like the last of those couple movies um some where... shots of the world trade center too yeah and new york yeah. too this is very new york this movie the um i think when i first saw this movie i didn't like not knowing actors and stuff quite then even even oh that's the guy that's the kid from uh empire of the sun christian bale one of his first movies mm. that's what i like i didn't know oh that's that's batman because that wasn't you know the uh oh yeah this was a star making turn for him but yeah but first scene i was like oh this is like an 80s movie <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. the, it's just it it, it doesn't over modernize itself it's shot like a classical movie. It's not, they're not doing anything super special. They're not putting in, even the music is very, the score, not the, um, obviously the music is all eighties music, but the score to the movie is very classical too. Like in like a classical it's, Hollywood score, like right, you, you would hear in a drama, like a Hitchcock film or something. Right. It's, yeah. it's like how we were talking with um, Days and Confused they are just doing everything. They're not overextending themselves in any way. They're making it within the period. Not reveling in nostalgia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's just start with the intro to yeah. the movie. Oh, okay. it is yeah, so we, we absolutely it. brilliant. And that's exactly what I was saying. Perfect execution all the way through. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the movie stars Christian Bale on a star making turn. He, had been in stuff dating back to when he was like 14, but uh, this is his first kind of breakout role. Well, how old was he in? I mean, he was already in a Spielberg movie. He starred in a Spielberg movie when he was nine or 12 or something like that. Um, you mean Empire, Empire, of, the Empire of the Sun? Yeah. That was 1987. He would have been 13. That movie makes me cry at least four times every time I watch that movie. <laughs> so the by the intro, you mean kind of the food blood thing that's the first thing we see in the movie well the first thing we see is the old school Lionsgate logo which i wrote down yep. <laughs> uh, the book was published in 91 optioned for a script in 92 there were several versions of the script there was a little bit of back and forth there mary heron was attached pretty early on and she ended up doing it but other directors were considered um like you mentioned, uh, Scorsese, yeah. and at one it does, point, it does seem like a Scorsese. I could see him attached to this movie. I'm glad he wasn't to let somebody else's, like, uh, you know, late '90s, because I mean, he had the whole Goodfellas thing. Like, he had he had his part. Like, it's nice that somebody else got uh, to take such a great script. Yeah, they considered Leo at one point. Uh, Lionsgate wanted Leo DiCaprio and and then Leo came back and said well if I'm going to be in this then Oliver Stone has to direct it yeah Which I, I think that would have been terrible it, it would have yeah. been a totally it, different movie yeah. um, actually Mary Heron when she found out that they wanted Leo she refused to meet with him 
And that was one of the reasons that she, I think, ended up having to leave the project was because she wouldn't meet with Leo because she wanted Christian Bale the whole time. And, yeah, and Christian Bale, yeah. like, fought for it, too. He yeah. was, like, talked Ewan McGregor out of it. They, yep. They offered it to <laughs> oh, Ewan McGregor. Awesome. And Christian oh Bale my went gosh, to him and said, please don't horrible, do this. I want this yeah. part. Bale. Ewan McGregor in this role? Can I wrote you? down great casting with Bale. Christian Bale makes this movie. Yes. I think. Yeah. He, his, like, he's so good. Yeah. He has this like his range with the, he has that sinister smile and it can be like, it can be a charming smiles to a like scary smile. And then on top of that, he has that thousand mile stare. This is dead pan stare. Very empty. He was saying when he uh, was but trying the comedy to figure too. out- the... he, can, he nails yeah. the comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he said, you know what? He drew from inspiration for this part. He actually saw, he was like having a tough time figuring out how to play the Patrick Bateman character. And then he saw an interview with Tom Cruise and he was like, <laughs> oh, this guy, like he's got this smile. He's got all this charm, but like nothing behind the eyes. Like yeah. this is like vacant like what's really going on in this dude's head and from that point on he knew how to play patrick bateman i can see that too it's not i saw that going in and i was i saw his performance and i'm like oh i can see that i can see how yeah yeah he yeah it's very tom cruise especially like now that how much we know about tom cruise now (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah the not only like is he obviously he's doing an accent um but just the comedy through the his through his voice and through his body like when he's doing a little like shimmy whenever like he has the that scene uh, i oh, noted that I, I wrote that down <laughs> that, he is he is great in that scene i, I want to get to that when yeah, we get, we'll get to that to point in the movie that is my favorite well all the stuff where he's talking about music too it's all very oh. surface level like it's the the idea that everything's surface level with him he's not i could listen to all. a podcast of patrick bateman talking about albums <laughs> yes because it's so it, when, when he's yes when he's when he's talking about albums i'm like hell yeah like tell me more like yeah. the insight and the um how he articulates yeah the uh there that where the album is placed in the career of the artist <laughs> it's so good yeah, well, all he it. does is listen to music. I mean, the idea that the character doesn't, I mean, we never see him work. Well, yeah, he's, when he he's walking to office. work and he's listening to uh, um, Walking, Walking on, on Sunshine. Sunshine, holy oh, shit. I mean, how good does song. it get? Oh, all of, and he's listening to Lady on Lady in Red. Yeah. Uh, which is that too. What a great, all of the songs are so well picked. They have such a, the like duality of or it's such ju- the juxtaposeness of him yeah. listening to walking on sunshine as he's like wants to murder everybody i guess whitney houston didn't want any of her songs in it though well, he does a rant on her but or right that's the like third a little... that's the third rant right yeah yeah he, yeah um so we'll get to the, let's talk about the movie um <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess we are i mean i mean let's go through it yeah uh the uh, so the title sequence kind of sets the tone right away i think you know you see this you know this droplet of pure white you you, yeah it's pure white and you see a drop of uh what looks like blood but it's actually some kind of sauce but that pure white it does have um 
I think a lot to go with this movie too. You know what I mean? Like his, his apartment is his, like the um, yeah. sterile, yeah, pure purity of everything, you know. Everything I think I wrote is, down the word sterile yeah. as well. Yeah. Everything is cold, sterile, like not then, a lot of then, color. Right. And then the font uh, in the opening is the same font as the business card font. Too. Oh, nice. So I didn't put that together. Of course. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, so, yeah, that, I what, like what that. Is he called? Yeah. Oh, and this font is called. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what are the font he, names? <laughs> he, he says it so slow. It's so good, too. Yeah, the business. I know. I remember the thing. colors, but not the font. It's like, yeah, it's like the one. Sh- the one color is like eggshell or whatever. No, that's bone. bone. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's bone. a pale. It's a pale, pale nimbus. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, I like how the not only is the intro, it's doing this double thing where it's like, you th- you think it's one thing and then it's really you know oh it's blood American Psycho all right the first thing you see is a droplet. And how the music is going with that, where it's just like a little string pool. And then it slowly builds up to being like a classical song that they're playing in a very ritzy um, restaurant. And we get a scene at dinner to kind of introduce him. And one of the other characters describes him as the voice of reason and boy next door. But that's hilarious. I didn't, yeah, I didn't pick that yeah, up. Yeah, he gets called like my little boy next door the whole movie yeah. like by his girlfriend by people that like it becomes pretty clear that his friends kind of think he's a dork yeah well, yeah he's, he's he's forgettable he's so yeah, forgettable he's, that he blends uh, in yeah well again it's the idea that everything's surface level with him like yeah. he's not very he doesn't have a lot to him he's like an empty shell of a person yeah right I yeah, mean that—that's kind of how it's supposed right, to. Right. That's what, like a sociopath. That's their. That's what they're. They actually don't have any emotions, but they're really good at blending in. Yeah, and that's basically kind of the opening, like thesis of the film. That he says, if we can go to the next scene, when we start to see his apartment, some of his like inner world, that he ends that scene by saying, "I simply am not there." Though you can like shake my hand and do all these things, and he mm-hmm. talks about being this shell of a person and. And it's, I love the way that scene is shot too, because you get him like at the, like there's like the photo of Les Mis and he's like, it's his reflection where he's like taking a piss. And yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he goes through his whole, uh, actually I think his routine. Yeah, it's part of his routine as well, right? That's that's the same scene where he's- Yeah, he works yeah. out, then he shower. showers and he's all different scrubs. Well, that he has this ridiculous facial routine that he does too. Right, and what a great like uh, visual- uh... With the mask thing, yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that too, yeah. peeling away the the surface. But you know, when it's all surface, then you've got to take care of the surface. You know, he's he works out constantly. He, yeah, he has like a ridiculous point, he's morning. Like a, he's like getting a facial, and a, and the and the the massage therapist or whatever is like, your skin, Patrick. It's so smooth, yeah. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> so yeah, his apartment's very clean, sterile. He yep. talks about. Um, when he's talking at one point he kind of talks politics a little bit but it's very just headliney like how he that whole his little dialogue there that little monologue of his it's so good and i'm so like hell yeah patrick that's right like (laughs) but it's there's nothing he's just he's just kind of spouting headlines he's he, he clearly hasn't given this stuff like any thought. thought yeah 
he's but just even, saying what how, he heard how he is saying it is so fucking funny in, in like, one of the scenes too he so says, fakey yeah he he said something about can we not make anti-semitic remarks or something Pull like with that the anti-semitic semitic remarks yeah. You know? yeah 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 <laughs> what's that got to do with it mcdermott or whatever yeah <laughs> so yeah he's engaged to reese witherspoon he's sleeping with samantha mathis who's his friend's girlfriend and a bunch of other people so that's kind of the first thing we learn about him when does he kill the homeless guy that's like that's the first that's the first um kill first time we see him kill somebody it's a homeless guy and his dog it's actually right after the business card scene i think so okay oh that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense he's a little stressed out after that and one of the things also yeah (laughs) one of the things i also want to point about this movie is like this movie is so white and I'm pretty sure this is intentional, but like any person of color in this film, they're in like a role as some sort of servant or like the homeless person, or they're the, like the, someone at the bar, like a bartender, or they're, they're, they're simply tools in his world to like, uh, like a means to an end. And that's how he treats everybody in this movie. So he's so terrible, whether he's right. yelling at the dry cleaner or again, oh, killing yeah, the, the, dry the man God, on the, the street. So well, the first time we see, Oh, the dry cleaner scene is the first time we get a sense that he... Well, no, that's not true. The first time we get the sense, before we even cut to his like apartment intro, is he goes to that bar. They go to a club and he's like, I want to put your head on a spike or something. He's talking to the waitress because they don't take these like... uh, credit things or these like, I don't know what tickets. Yeah, that's obvious foreshadowing. You know, yeah. but the blood stain is kind of the first time we get a real like re- tangible evidence. reality. We see evidence yes. of it there, right? But it's crayon. It's crayon apple. It's crayon apple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's that is. I mean, I hate to jump ahead, but to, uh, for the discussion of this whole thing, I mean, there is a sense of like, is he actually doing any? Is he doing any of this stuff? Well, that's what I was going to get to at the end. Yeah, it's him. Well, so is it actually Cran We should, and we should make all... him wait for it. We should make him they, wait they... the audience, I mean. Uh, well, <laughs> that's, yeah. Gus likes to jump to the end. <laughs> Let's just talk about the end for the next 45 minutes. Uh, <laughs> well, he I kills guess... a bunch of people. It played like it at some point. Well, you don't have to jump to the end. I'm just saying <laughs> while we discuss about the, uh, the meat well, yeah, of the movie, it, why don't it, we. It's strongly it, hinted that that he made it all up in his head somewhat like we're kind of left to wonder that did any of this really happen yes and but it's what makes the movie so impressive is that you do question that because of the fact that he there is always a side answer like the cran apple like maybe it really is cran apple and he is just an insane rich spoiled brat and he's not a murderer. He's just a, and he, but he just has these horrible thoughts. You Maybe know? he just thinks being a murderer would be more interesting than the life mm-hmm. he actually lives, which yeah. is just very shallow. And yeah. Maybe all he really did want to do is return those videotapes. I don't know. <laughs> I, wrote I wrote that, that down. Every, that line comes time, up like three or four times. It's, it's so, so funny. Every, it's so fucking funny. Jordan and I say it to each other all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, anytime you just don't want to explain where you have to go. Yeah. Well, uh, I have to return the fact, to the Well, that's what I was talking about with this being satire is like, how can you hear that line repeated 
three or four times and not think it's satire. You know, well, I I always thought this movie. What makes this movie so great is that it's a roller coaster of emotions. It's hilarious, then it's serious, and it's kind of scary, then it's hilarious yeah. again, and then it's scary. It's hilarious. It's scary. It's so good. And it sort of defies genre too. Like, there's nothing. Is it a horror film? Movie. Is it a drama? Is it right. a black comedy? Nothing has landed as well as this movie has at this level of like right that kind of comedy satire horror all it the has same the time. trappings of a horror film there i remember being like when i was younger seeing this movie legitimately kind of frightened like when he's chasing the woman with the oh, chainsaw yeah. that's like the horror that's and the, straight and out the, of friday the 13th that's and the, the tension of that after the paul allen scene because as soon as you as after the paul allen scene and and he's with the two hookers and they're and he starts describing another album you're like holy shit yeah like when is he gonna grab the axe oh yeah the so scene... this the paul allen scene we need to talk about that for sure that Absolutely. scene is... megan have you do you own a raincoat a see-through <laughs> raincoat <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a raincoat. Period. I live in Southern <laughs> California. Doesn't Damn it! I, I, you, I just backed myself into that corner. So well. you, you set it up. You set me up, and I spiked. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I like it. This is a good team. It's good teamwork. Good work. <laughs> All right. The, the comedy stylings of Gus and Megan. Everyone. I'm just actually. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not having fun. I'm jealous. I. <laughs> So yeah, the, the Paul Allen scene is great. That's probably like a third of the way in. I mean, it's yeah. that classic half hour mark where everything changes. Yeah, it really. You slides. see him brutally murder Jared Leto in a hilarious way. Be yeah, but like all dancing. because he hates the fact that his it's it sparks from the business card. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's the Fisher and the Fisher account. Alan's got the Fisher account. He's not happy about it. The yeah. business cards. <laughs> oh my well, and 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 Paul, and Paul Allen doesn't even realize that it's Patrick Bateman. He thinks it's somebody else. Well, that was the other thing too. Is yeah. he really Patrick Bateman? Like I we guess. don't even know who he is <laughs> yeah. at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's like you're not Patrick Bateman. You're what's the other name they called him? Marcus Helperstrand. <laughs> <laughs> what a good name. Yeah. How can you not think this is satire after seeing this? Like, so ridiculous. I, mean, I think, I mean, like I said, the very first time seeing this movie, I'm laughing. You're still, I'm laughing out loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and scene this time, especially, I, mean, I was like, like breakdancing with the, he's got a, like a really clean axe and he's like breakdancing to uh, Huey Lewis. The scene has been parodied a bunch of times too. It, yeah. With a, Huey. Yeah. With Huey, with Huey and Weird Lewis Al. and Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try yeah, parodying but... one of my songs now. Yes, the uh... we know he's yeah. a psycho because he prefers four to sports. I mean, come on, sports. <laughs> yeah, that's is clearly that's a better sports album. Sports is right? yeah. the like the best album ever. Yeah, <laughs> but that's when they came in their own commercially and artistically. So, <laughs> I don't know. yeah. So, so one of the, the things the I made points. Yeah. Did yes, check, when, I wrote that he, down. I was just about to say that. When I was he, like, look at the recoil on his hand there. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very, um, 
there's 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 very few movies that are like this but when they when it happens i think david fincher is really good at this um and he actually's almost directed a uh fully animated movie the goon which based off the comic goon uh, i didn't see that one well yeah because it was never made he was going to do it with blur there's actually a, a um early like test of it it's awesome i'll send it to you guys but um snow piercer comes to mind the preciseness of every character's um movements is it almost it's almost like an so exactly they're mm-hmm. animated like there's it, yeah but in but it's more of the sense that it's coming from one person's mind that the director is almost manipulating the the movements of the of the actors and his his performance in that scene is just so i don't know it's so good and it's so hilarious and you can rewatch it 20 times and every time see something a little bit new yep in his performance one interesting thing too i learned about the scene because i'm obsessed with this scene as well i've like read everything there is to read about yeah, he it he moonwalks and... in the ass <laughs> holy shit. yeah well interestingly brett easton ellis the author of the book was not happy with how christian bale played this scene he was like patrick bateman would never like do that shimmy move he would never he would take himself seriously the whole time he wouldn't smile but i i disagree so much i think christian bale played this scene perfectly as an actor like i can't imagine it not being that uh being that or like can you imagine another actor being able to like talk about huey lewis in the in the news and while like holding an axe about to murder somebody and 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 have it work like i i don't think like how he's like hey paul and he's this then he just like screams yeah so that megan that scene was in the book right uh yeah i had it's been so long since I've read the book that I don't know. I don't know that like the there's there are these long rants about movies, but I don't know that anything's happening. Like it's just literally like a page of him. It'll just be writing about a movie and it's like not contextualized like this is happening while he's talking to another person. It's because I think it's like the whole book is his point of view. So he'll just like it's almost like a diary entry. He just writes about it. But he he's not saying it out loud to somebody else. The, the book. book is. I mean, is the book as overtly satirical as the movie? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of lists. It's a lot of him, you know, the same way he talks about movies, he talks about fashion and what he's wearing. And, like, he just has such this obsession and anxiety around, like, trying to fit into this 80s culture. Right, because he's he's always talking about, like... um... So, like you all were saying, Brad, it's so superficial. Like, everything. He's just only on the surface. But, yeah. Oh, one of the things I want to talk about in that scene too is that shot where like the camera is just on uh Christian Bale for so long where he's like it's a it's he's hitting Alan with the axe and it's like an upshot and then like it doesn't cut for like a really long time, right? It's just on Bale's face. He's got the blood on one side of his face, and there's this whole whole moment where he like recovers from that, he gets himself together after like brutally hacking at this dude, and he walks across the, the room. And he sits down on the couch and he pulls out, like, I guess it's a cigar and lights and he turns his face to the other side. And you just see the profile side of his face where there's no blood at all. (laughs) And like, I love that shot. I love that whole, like, it just, they didn't cut it all. Yeah, it's all one take, isn't it? It's one take. It's beautiful. And what's the, like. So they orchestrated the the blood spray because clearly that's saying that 
that's intentional, of course, where he yeah. turns and you don't see it. So clearly they yeah. orchestrated the blood splatter to only hit one it's, side of his face. I also love how disheveled yeah. his hair looks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because he, you know, they have it like all like styled straight back. Mm-hmm. Oh my and, God, the uh, hair in this movie, by the way. Yes. Everybody's well, also, hair. I also, I love that Paul Allen's hair is so close to Bale's hair. And like they, you know, like it looks like, ridiculous. Well, that that's like sense. sort of a mullet, but it's like slick. Everybody's got yeah. slick back hair. Yeah, they I could do. Like my, Trump I have children. <laughs> I could be Baron Trump for Halloween right about right now. Seriously. Well, I was gonna say Gordon Gecko, but yeah, that works too. Yeah. I wrote down uh, Jared Leto's hair. OMG. <laughs> I wrote down hip to be square scene. Amazing. Yeah. In all caps. Uh. Yeah, he mentions Cliff Huxtable. He says, uh, who was Bill Cosby's character, obviously, in uh, the Cosby show. He says, I got to have lunch with Cliff Huxtable to get out of something. <laughs> Some oh. point. It, to the detective. Uh, yeah, he's to, oh, yeah uh, to the, te- the detective, uh, by the way, is Willem, uh, Dafoe. Willem, Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. So Willem Dafoe investigates uh, Jared Leto's death. I just, I, I, I just thought of this, but. All right. We as our main our main character being a serial killer or a psycho, like just or just so say he's a murderer or whatever. He's, he's not psycho. like a likable. We guy, don't know that he's but we a have to like he's... him more than everybody else. Oh, yeah. So they oh, are that's... so good at making everybody else such a giant piece of shit. I that was, you can't wait for them to get axe murdered well, by prostitute seems I, I was gonna well, say that, the ex- ex- to the exception i agree well christy and then also gene i feel like gene is the character that we're kind of supposed to empathize oh. with uh, his secretary and especially yeah. and we'll get to this that scene where he asks her on a date and they're in his apartment like that's uh, the whole movie the most i'm like no don't do it no do it. don't don't not gene, not poor gene because she's so Sympathetic. sympathetic and then like even at the beginning the first scene where they inter- introduce her you could just see how she's like so trying to like please this man and like do a good job at her job and she wants his approval so bad and and then like, he's such an asshole about her yeah. clothing and he tells yeah. her and gene don't wear that outfit ever again and yeah and he's so condescending to her and and they're probably like almost the same age and it's just what a great actress uh, too uh what's yeah, her Chloe, Chloe, Chloe Seven, yeah. God, she's the, she she can play everything, everything, yeah, and she has, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so she's pretty young here too. This is early in her career as well. Um, he was watching the oh. Texas Chainsaw Massacre while doing <laughs> yeah, crunches. Yeah, he watches yeah. porn and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which yeah. is what a. I mean, it's like an obvious thing. Like, I wouldn't say it's a genius move, but it's those things. It's just like. Well, here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing about the scene where he's watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that you you hear it before you see it. You saw him watching porn earlier in the film, and you hear the you hear the sounds, and and you're not sure if it's like a porn because you're kind of like, is that more porn? But then it cuts and it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right, and then the whole fact that he goes Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the end, towards the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he kills one person with a chainsaw in a ridiculous scene, by the way, yeah. <laughs> where he oh. throws the chainsaw down the stairs. And but his scream, that that to keep that shot 
in there of him yelling as he that he got her his that excitement. scene that whole scene is straight out of a friday the 13th movie that's that's the uh final girl run in every uh friday the 13th movie there's a scene where the final girl runs around the camp being chased and finding all the bodies he hires that prostitute twice and yeah. kills her the second time the first time he just beats her he, up he go, well they oh yeah he Which hires is just so it that is so that is almost like worse than him, like her. taking an axe to a dude's like the like that is way worse than him axing Paul Allen. <laughs> yeah, that that whole prostitute scene is so incredibly uncomfortable because again, this whole movie is about this man who's in a position of power. He has all this power and influence, and like this this woman, Chrissy, has no choice. Like she she's like she needs the money so badly that she goes with him against her instincts more than once. And the and, rules of her well, the, like and the rules of her yeah. yeah. The second time you're like no don't go yeah uh she really and... doesn't want to go the second time by the way the first scene with her where he takes her to her his apartment is the, the scene where he talks about genesis yeah which i love that conversation too yes that whole scene where he's first he's making him do weird stuff in front of a camera while he talks about genesis yeah and, and then while they're having sex he's like checking himself out in the mirror and he's like flexing yeah, and like he, kissing his spice up so he doesn't even look at them he's yeah. looking at the camera the whole time and he's just posing it's all about this image and and then we we cut to, i love i love how often they cut to the women's faces just to show how like this little looks like how uncomfortable they are and how weirded out they are by him like because i feel like it puts you in their perspective like a lot more like you're not no longer you're supposed to empathize with them throughout this entire sequence yeah the Right. Well, yeah. As soon as he starts talking about Genesis, you're like, "Fuck." Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Like, Their undisputable masterpiece is an invisible yeah. touch. It's an epic meditation on intangibility. Like, oh my god. <laughs> I know, but yeah, but the tension, the fact that he, yeah. the last time he did this, he took yeah. an axe to this dude's head, totally. and now these are these two innocent women that in this horrible profession. Like, uh, yeah, it's just. Oh. And we got to mention that when the sex starts happening, he plays the studio. <laughs> oh, Come yeah. on. Like, that is the best. This, can I? Can you think of a worse sex song than the studio? <laughs> <laughs> and if he, what does he say? I love this song or something like that. He, it, he goes off on Susudio for a couple minutes. He's just like, this is Susudio. And then he plays it like the yeah, timing yeah. of that is so and good. And he just walks through the camera. Yeah, it's, that's a great <laughs> shot. I wrote down cut right to chauvinism. Oh, there's so many great lines. Okay, it, that's the scene after where they're in a, like a, one of their clubs or bars. It's like him and uh, Bryce and I think McDermott. And that's the scene with Lewis also. And they're talking about how there are no girls with good personalities. Oh, um, yeah. And, yeah. And they're being super misogynistic in, yeah. in the things that they're talking about. And but then Bateman takes it too far because he's always alluding to serial killers. So he's like, he's like Ed Gein or Ed, somebody. Ed Gein, yeah, yeah, serial killer. And they're like, what did Ed say? And he, and he says like, oh, I like to think of what her head looks like on a stick. And he thinks yeah. it's hilarious, but none they're of his like, friends what? are like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, dude. One of my one far. of the parts that kills me every time is when they're at the Christmas party and Patrick goes. Hey, have a holly jolly Christmas or something like that. Like just uh, how he says it. 
and like the port the uh, potbelly pig and like the one person puts like antlers on his head as he's giving this disgusted look at the pig yeah god it's just <laughs> so this whole movie is chock full of those moments where it's just so fucking funny it's just this it's just the expressions on the face or the this like this cheesy line it's not like a funny well, the way, line the way he interacts with everyone i mean especially yeah. the women in the movie like well the whole thing was he 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 goes hey have a holly jolly christmas and then he's like his next question is like who is that guy dating that girl like who's that girl like he doesn't care yeah about say like he doesn't actually care if they have a holly jolly christmas or not and like just to get evelyn to shut up he goes mistletoe alert and he like yeah. brings her in and kisses her because she's like patrick who was this? Why did he think you were Marcus? Who's Marcus? And he just right, like, right. totally shuts down the conversation. All right. Yep. So business card scene again. Yeah. Um, and really tense music during this scene, like the second business card scene. And there's queued up sound effects too for like this, like, like, yeah. it's like the card comes yeah. out. Yeah. In slow motion. What is with the business cards? Because they're all the same. They all have the same title, Vice President. And it's the same font too, right? Or is it different fonts each time? I think that's the joke, right? Is that it's, they're all basically identical to like most people's eyes. You wouldn't even tell the difference, but these guys are like constantly sizing each other up and comparing each other. But like to any outsider, they all look the same. They're all basically the same archetype, the same dude. Well, it's that, yeah, it's that idea of like what you're saying, Megan, like they're so in their own world and there is such a culture to it though in this little weird one percenter world that they are like breaking down what like the difference between like off-white and egg eggshell is or whatever yeah well it's a major point of contention throughout the movie it comes up like three or four times oh let's let's see paul allen's card right (laughs) that's also one interesting uh fact about this movie too that the business cards is actually spelled wrong on uh they spell acquisitions wrong so if you look closely you can catch that that someone must have made a typo they all are spelled incorrectly i can't remember how they're spelled but yeah it's a fun little fact about that movie because it's such an iconic scene but yeah there's that typo in it well i would it was not intentional I don't think so. No, I think no. I think some probably production big designer word. made us made a mistake. Wow! But it's yeah, it's just <laughs> one of the charms. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you what the typo was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. But real quick, we, we got uh, we got Lewis, right? We want to talk about Lewis and how Patrick is about to kill Lewis because he pulls out the business card and, and he goes so the goddamn good bathroom after him. And Lewis thinks that Patrick is into him and that they've both been like hiding this secret the like, long stairs. Yeah, like and any 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 and he kisses him on the hand in the most gentle and tender way. And well yeah, he pulls his he pulls his glove away. Yeah. His gloves to make the so he has no fingerprints on the on his neck as he chokes him. Yeah. And that, that oh. also leads to such a great uh I have to return. Where are you going? I have to return oh, yeah, some videotapes. Comes yeah. up there too. Yeah. This Which, movie has a lot of like homophobia, but it's like a parody of homophobia. They yeah. keep they that keeps coming up. They use well, the, the funny thing is lot. that they're yeah well yeah yeah the yeah the eighties and nineties were just yeah. 
there was yeah. um they're going to clubs that are like extremely like the the cool clubs are where all kinds of people are going to, you know. Yeah, like, there's like drag queens at the, yeah. the very beginning scene. Like I think like the bouncer is like a drag queen or something. Yeah, and they give him like a twenty or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's weird. Hundred or something. They're, yeah. and maybe some of that goes back to just the fact that Brett Easton Ellis is a gay writer, so he's always putting that kind of stuff in. Like there's like he almost has an internalized homophobia in a lot of his works. I wanted to like, mention that. Just from the, the writer, yeah. the writer of this book, he didn't want to come out publicly, I guess, because he didn't want people to read that into his work. Well, too bad, Brett. We're reading it into your work. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that kind of again gives it another texture of this, both the book and the movie. Yeah, they're not engaging in these things. They're parodying at but you know we we get into conversations about like at what point do you become what you parody i think some people are just very surface level saw it as really violent against women and didn't read the satire and i think other people were you know thinking it was just not enough satire or that the sat it was becoming what it parodied mm. you know does that make any sense yeah I kind of wanted to ask, yeah, ask you guys about that. But obviously you guys are both like, yeah, this is satire. And I think there probably was a misreading of this by people who did just see it kind of ironically on the surface level only and didn't want to read deeper into the movie. But I think even that's with what just, the whole movie's about. That's the whole movie's about, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, I but think, I think with time, I think it's just with time, we can yeah. look back on this movie and see it a little bit more clearly. Well, what do you think, like, all right, when he finally like loses it, and goes on like a crazy killing rampage and he's having the shootout with the cops. He shoots the cop cars and they ex start exploding and he shoots the other one and it explodes. And then he like looks at his gun and he's like, and that adds to the whole, like, is this reality? The qu he's, he's questioning like, cause as a viewer, you're going, wait, that's not, that's not how it happens. What this is turned into like a oh, crazy yeah. action movie or something. Well, I but think that's the, you know, for the audience, that's kind of the first, inkling we get that oh this is all like none of this is really happening or that's sort of like the first suggestion because that scene has a lot of really weird cuts where he runs past the same area multiple times Wait, he starts well, it starts with him trying to put the cat into the atm because the, the atm tells him yeah yeah <laughs> feed me the cat and then he shoots the woman because she's like hey what, what are you are doing you do? yeah <laughs> don't do that and then he just he's about to shoot the cat and then he turns and he shoots her but then and lets he, the shoots, cat go. he shoots the doorman but then he runs past him later and he's no, that's, oh, a, that's another doorman different doorman and actually that's another really amazing cut because he reaches into his jacket and you think he's gonna blow this guy's head off too but instead he just pulls out a pen and he like signs himself into his building oh and, he, and by, the, by that time he looks terrifying. like such a oh, yeah. maniac because yeah. his hair is disheveled and he's so sweaty yeah well at this point in the movie he's just kind of killing indiscriminately yeah what what leads him so he breaks up with uh reese so what what leads him to like the ultimate like that whole like run of destruction? So I think one of the things that happens here is that he meets with Kimball again, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's a little bit. Let me make sure. Let me the, take my the, notes. It's the, it's the lunch date, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, and we probably should talk about that Gene scene as well before that. But like he meets with Kimball again at at that club because uh, or it's at a lunch. And throughout this whole movie, I want to say about Kimball's performance or Willem Dafoe's performance. I don't know if you knew this one also, but he was directed to do three takes every time of these scenes where during one take, he would act like he was to play Kimball as if Kimball knew what was going, like knew that Patrick was guilty. He was to play a second time as if he was unsure. And then a third time as if uh, Patrick was not guilty and he knew that he was not guilty. And that made for really, really interesting editing opportunities because oh, then yeah. the editor went back in and cut those three different different takes together in a way that like you never quite know if Kimball is on to Patrick because sometimes he says lines where you're just like, oh, he pulls out the Huey Lewis CD. He I must saw that. know. Oh, and that's so I, I wanted to point yeah. that scene out too because that yeah. I did see that and that did lead to the the Huey Lewis scene where he picks it up and he shows it to him. And it's like, you think he's going to say, look what I got, you know, uh -huh. but then it's just like, do you like this album? Or they, he they says something about, too. He's yeah. like, he's like, no, I don't, I don't really listen to pop music or something. Yeah, he's like, like no, that. it's too black sounding for me, which again, more racist. <laughs> oh, that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> and he, yeah, he, um, and then he and just that, leaves. He says to each his own. And then he just takes off. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's really, there's another great, where Patrick says something like, oh no, I was here. And he's like, whoa, whoa, that's not what I heard. Yeah. And he's looking for his notes. And then while he's looking for his notes, that's when he pulls out the thing and it, he gets distracted, which is just a great, every time that Willem Dafoe is on screen, the uh, like, is he or isn't he going to, either is Willem Dafoe going to like figure out through what Patrick says that he's the killer or is Patrick just gonna like, blurt out some crazy you know line that that he you know is he can't he just can't help himself yeah there's a cut where he's holding someone's hair like we don't see the kill but it's like oh there's he's got a woman in his apartment and yeah it, it just cuts to his office the next day and he's holding a, a lock of her hair yeah just, oh i wrote great cut there yeah that was yeah, great, great cut. Um, it was right before the uh, one of the Willem Dafoe uh, scenes that was, I think, when when Gene comes back in, or it might be, or that might be the scene where he asks Gene to dinner. Because he's listening to Lady in Red, right? Yeah, it's. I think that's got to be the yeah. Lady in Red song. It's, so yeah, I, he almost kills Gene. We talked yeah. about that. He, um, I don't know. Why do you think he didn't kill her? Well, I think I think it's just that that. It's just hap so happens that Evelyn interrupts him, but like Jean is such the most, she's the most innocent character in this movie. Like she even asks him like, Patrick, have you ever wanted to make someone happy? And yeah. he doesn't even know what to do with a question like that. Cause I don't think he's ever once considered another person's happiness in his entire life. Or even the fact that they have emotions. Yeah. Emotions, yeah. So she does challenge him in that well, don't way. you think that shows a little bit of his like he does have like a just smidgen of humanity left i don't i the whole I movie know. you're just like there's nothing there <laughs> like but he, it's, it, the whole it, what what stops him is that his um fiance calls yeah Evelyn so he, calls. Other, if it wasn't for that he would have killed her i think he would have and because he gets caught and 
And then I love that whole conversation afterwards because he he says all these things like, I think I might hurt you. I don't think I control myself. And they're having like for, for the screenwriting there, like, and Jean's having the same conversation with him, but she's thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have an affair with this taken man. And he's right. straight up telling her, I'm going to murder you. But they're both interpreting it the other way. And right. it's I a really, that. really funny dialogue exchange at the end of that scene. Yeah, good writing there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Is it bad that I want to talk about like every scene? Am I talking uh, no, too No, much? You're no, you're good. No, no. Uh, we love it. Okay. Uh, well, it's, it's the setup for the killing spree, right? So we have this scene where um, Patrick has his friend Elizabeth over and he's picked up Christy again. And to me, that's a really, really interesting scene for a couple of reasons. And the first being that Elizabeth is played by Guinevere Turner, who wrote the movie. And, oh. and I think her performance is actually really hilarious in this scene because she is there's just such a class difference there of like her just going on and on about getting drugs and like going to the Kentucky Derby. And oh, like, well, oh, how'd you meet Patrick? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like, Oh, and where, Oh, where do you summer? Oh. And then she just like completely continues to ignore Christy. And I, and the staging of that scene to me is really, really like cool because it really reflects it because you have like Patrick and Elizabeth right next to each other on the couch. And then you have Christy, like kind of there's all these shots of her on the other side of the room, just kind of like, looking back and forth them being like, I don't understand this world at all. Like these people are nuts. And like, just then they have that really nice over the shoulder shot too, from her point of view, basically almost. And of, of the two of them on the couch close together, talking about all of these things she doesn't understand. And then the one other comedic point that I think is pretty funny in this scene is when Elizabeth goes, I'm not a lesbian, Patrick, which is ironic because in real life, the screenplay writer, Guinevere Turner, is in fact a lesbian. So I think she <laughs> added she that line. Fun, yeah, she, yeah, she, fun she also, line, um, yeah. yeah, she also, re they referenced the, the college that she actually went to as well. Yeah. In that scene. The screenwriter get, dies in her own movie. Yeah. And then uh, it's the same thing. We've been talking about that chase scene a lot. Just I love how the like even the apartment hallway everything just feels so empty and like uniform and sterile like we've been talking about yeah. like it's another reason it works so well because you can't tell where she's going like every door looks the same every like place she goes into is just like more and more the same she's banging on the doors but everything is empty and yeah and the and she gets stairway a too is like yeah when we see the shots of like weird triangle looking up yeah. the stairway yeah. Yeah, that death. And then he draws it later. That's another point is that uh, his notebook. Gene finds the notebook like as yeah. one of the last things. Yeah. And it's got all these really awful drawings of violence <laughs> against women. Badly drawn. The, and um, awful because it. A, they're badly drawn and B, they're uh, very graphic and misogynist. Yeah, the the uh, naivete in his art style, though, it makes it even scarier. Right. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> he doesn't understand perspective or anatomy though i know i think that's the cut too the literal cut is between like she, she gets hit with the chainsaw and then we cut to the drawing of the chainsaw coming out of uh christy's back and he's at dinner with evelyn i love how everybody around him just acts like he's normal like he's literally drawing on the tablecloth like this bloody scene of him murdering a girl and no one like notices him no because like, no one cares cry for help all the time yeah. from him like just notice me notice me i'm being crazy does anyone notice and 
everyone just keeps reacting to him normally. No one, the people are asking questions, but they don't care. They just want to hear their own, own selves talk. Mm. You know what I mean? It's the same yeah. thing. Like no one knows. Everybody is always like, oh, that's this person, but they're getting that person wrong. No one knows who anybody is. <laughs> yeah. They don't even know each other's names. Yeah. Well, so in the end, we're well, left here, to wait. kind of not, but, we're not sure if any of the, what percentage of this was real or if, uh, if well, this let's was talk even about his the, real name. The, like the crescendo of the movie, the, okay. the uh, confessional mon monologue. That's right. One, yeah. one take of sweaty. christian bale just so sweaty yeah and absolutely killing it like kills it oh my gosh what a shot that monologue mm -hmm. is fantastic yeah yeah he calls in and leaves an answering machine message confessing to his to uh to his lawyer uh -huh. and the and lawyer the assumes he's the kidding escalation of him like and i ate some of her brains <laughs> and the interesting thing too about that is, which goes back to the core of this character, is he's not afraid, or he's not. He has no remorse for what he's done, but he's scared that suddenly he might have some consequences because the police have been chasing after him. He fears consequences more than he fears. I, I think that anyone even knowing what he's does, like it's like this entitled rich boy who suddenly has to like own up to his actions, maybe. There, there, there's a and, lot of conflicting emotions, right, in that whole scene. And, and, and again, in 2021, when you look back on that and you look at some of the things that have happened in our society recently, you see all these people like this who have been able to do whatever they want without consequence. And when there is a chance that they might actually have consequences, they're more scared of that than being ashamed or being sorry for the thing they've actually done. Totally. They turn into like these crying babies who are just like, I might get caught. Yeah. I've done some bad things. Or like, yeah, like Harvey Weinstein walking, yeah. like when he was like, you know, like being wheelchaired in or something. All of oh, a sudden, God. he's in horrible health or whatever. Jesus. Yeah, that whole scene at the when he is having the shootout with the cop and he's trying to feed the the like complete breakdown. That is the kind of Fight Club moment in this movie where you're like you start questioning wait you're really at that point questioning is this real yeah yeah because we don't he, we don't know it's Bate, never Bateman's really questioning it with with when he like i was saying earlier about when he's the the cars start exploding he's like this gun did that like oh and when he's talking to his lawyer too it's like you can't have killed jared leto jared i just saw jared leto in in london yeah where, he, he where really he did go to london the, oh my gosh the recording Hey, it's Paul. Uh, I'm going to London for a few days. I'll see you later. So good. Yes. Yeah, the last note I wrote down was no one knows who anyone is. Wow. My last note was sweaty close-up during phone call. <laughs> yeah, I well, that's the last thing I wrote. Is Patrick Bateman likable? Do we want to empathize with him? I don't think he's likable. I think, think he's he's a, I think he's a good character. But he's okay. likable in the realm of watching, like, it's like, just because you like something in a movie doesn't mean you are like, that represents your morals or something like he's that. He's likable within the context of what they're trying to do. I mean, when he does that little jig 
and moonwalking oh, yeah. with a with the moonwalking with the axe. I was on board, and his yeah. and just his speech about like apartheid and all the things that need to change, and like the 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 nuclear arms race and stuff. It's yeah, he brings like, that up too. It's so good. Oh, there's like Ronald Reagan on the TV, as if like this wasn't hit, yeah hit home, I but it dates the movie. Like what does. what Reagan says gives the movie a very specific timeline because he says i've got 17 months left which puts the movie squarely in 1987 yeah yeah there this is a very very small moment but justin thoreau i don't know what his character name is he's one of the like five there is like three buddies Bryce or um, McDermott, probably. Yeah. Or, or what's the other he's one? Like the, he has like black jet hair. Oh, yeah. Bryce. Yes. I think that's Bryce. Bryce. Okay, yeah. The first club they get to, um, it's like a really 80s upbeat song is playing. And he's just doing this like really oh! aggressive like 80s dance. And I it, saw that. Just, it kills me every time. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I noticed that for the first time oh, this yeah? watching that. Yeah, this is a movie that keeps on giving. Like I totally, it, like, totally wrote that yeah. down. I'm There's so There's little details, yeah. <laughs> How many times have you seen it, Megan? Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe ten. Because you yeah, said you were with... borderline obsessed with it. That's how you described. Uh, yeah, because like I was learning so, something, and I always show it to other people. I, I like to show it to other people too, and yeah, I have other movies that I'm obsessed with, but yeah, this is one of the ones that like. It just, I don't know. I can't look away. I just, it, it gets me every time. Well, it's so, it's completely rewatchable. Yeah. yeah. There it's it, every, every scene is enjoyable and memorable for so many reasons because not, it might've been a, it's a beautiful shot or the camera um, action is really interesting. And on top of that, the music's good. Uh, Christian Bale's doing like 30 things that are incredible um acting wise his face or how he del- delivers a line or just his movements it, it yeah there's just so much to to soak in with this movie mm-hmm. couldn't recommend it more that's the yeah. best we'll have to have have you back for some of those other movies you're obsessed with um i had a lot of fun doing this so yeah if you want me to come back i'm happy oh megan we would love for you to come back yes again. please yeah, we're I'm, gonna just have, I'm glad you're happy because <laughs> we're gonna this, make this it is my back jam. Sure. Come on. <laughs> I love this shit. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. So let's do a segment called What Are You Watching? Well, I don't know if I'll leave it in because this okay. episode's probably going to be really long, but yeah, it's we, we do an episode where we do a little segment just where we briefly talk about something we've watched. Um, I'll start off. Okay. I got okay. One. I uh this it might have been this might be my fifth rewatch of Inherent Vice. Uh Paul Thomas Anderson's um pulpy noir LA stoner surf noir movie. <laughs> have you it's it's really good. It's um it's it's you can't I, it's not, it's not, it's not a movie you can fully take in on first viewing. I never. Uh, I, I wrote it down. I can't articulate that really. It's just there's so much. The plot is so convoluted. It's intentionally convoluted. You're not supposed to know what's going on. You're supposed to be like slowly catching up, and never really quite catch up. But all the answers, I think, all the answers to the questions are in the movie. And Joaquin Phoenix is this private 
he's like a PI. And his performance is so good. He carries the movie perfectly. He's always good. Um, it's not very Paul Thomas Andersy. There's no like uh, technical camera moves or anything. A, a lot of it's handheld or uh, just like a master shot, you know. Um, anywho, couldn't rec- recommend it more. It's Ooh. it needs repeat viewings, but uh, every time it gets better. And on my fifth viewing, it was the best yet. So five times. There you, there you go. All right, so I'm going to change it up a little bit here and talk about a video game that I just played. I want to say it came out in 2018, so it's not brand new. And I played it on the Switch, but you can play it on, I think, pretty much anything. It's called Night in the Woods. And I like it because it's kind of like a 2D story driven. I won't call it a platformer. It's more like got like point and click vibes where you just go around and talk to people and the reason this one hits so close to home for me is like, we're still kind of in quarantine here. I haven't been able to travel. I haven't seen like my friends and my family. And this this video game is, you're playing this as this like college student who has dropped out. She's a cat and she goes home and she sees her family. And, the, and Gus, you'll like this too, because her hometown from everything I can tell about it. And like from what I was able to read about the animator who did all the designs is it's Southwestern Pennsylvania. Oh, so like 100%. And it's like the cat, you're this cat and you've gone home to this like kind of dying, like steel town, mining town place. And check Mark, check Mark. I I know. Right. You're a cat. Like you're, you're you're a cat. Like everyone's an animal and the animation is extraordinary i love the little like it's so subtle but so good like it's it's really really or is it is it 2d or it's 2d 2D. it's 2d to me it almost looks like after effects type animation but you know it's got like heavy puppet kind of yeah it's puppet but like it's also 2d and it's got like the you know how like they do like the spaghetti noodle arms all the time and stuff like that and the cat's like facial expressions are so adorable and it's really talky so if you're not into like games with a lot of dialogue then maybe you wouldn't be into this but I think the dialogue is like really really good and clever and and then you just kind of go through your day and you like hang out with your friends who work in the town who have like never kind of left your small hometown and that actually and it, sounds awesome it's great it it and, and then like you like have a mom and dad who like love you and it's like for someone who hasn't been able to see my parents for so long and just like I'm missing people it's like oh I got my cartoon cat mom and a little cool, substitute I got my, my friends who I get to see every day and um and yeah there's like a mystery there's like kind of also like a horror like scary kind of component that like these strange things are happening in the town and you kind of have to get to the the bottom of it but um yeah, couldn't recommend it enough. As animators, you will both absolutely appreciate the like designs. The, the, the backgrounds are beautiful. It looks like fall in Western Pennsylvania. It's, um, yeah, the characters are adorable. Anthropomorphic, is that what they're called? Anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, uh, oh. definitely worth my time to play. That sounds great. Sweet. I definitely will check it out. I have a yeah. Switch. So, yeah. Let's do a little outro. Um, well, right. thanks for making it this far and listening. Uh, my name is Brad Patello on Instagram. I am Brad Patello. Gus on Instagram is Mr. Trouth, T-R-A-U-T-H. Anything else you want to plug, Gus? Uh, well, yeah, you can always, if you just search Gus Trouth, 
uh, Webtoon or Gus Strauth Tapas, you'll find my comics. And uh, DM us with any uh, mistakes we make. Mistakes or hatred or uh, love. Don't DM us with hatred, please. No, don't do that. <laughs> not a podcast it. unless you start getting some hatred. Come on. Yeah. Ooh. You need some and, haters. Uh, not looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, all right, Megan uh, is and, and Megan. Megan. I am at Megan Praz. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to see the graphic novel I am working on, you can Ooh. follow me at Contested Strip. It is about Frisbee, Ultimate Frisbee, but it's for anyone who likes a good sports movie, actually. Anyone who uh, loves a sports comedy uh, ensemble cast, this, this might be for you. So you can see more of my artwork there. Cool. And season two of Tuca and Birdie will yes. be out at some point. At some Netflix, point, right? watch season two of Tuca and Birdie. It's going to be amazing. If you need to get the toxic masculinity of American Psycho out of your brain, uh, you can get some of the toxic femininity of Tuca and Birdie. It's going to be sweet. Oh, yeah. Toxic femininity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you'd even call it that. <laughs>